Hello and welcome to The Europeans, a weekly podcast about all things Europe, except for one thing which we make a concerted effort never to mention. That is the B word, Brexit. Especially this week. We're not going to talk about it this week at all. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but we didn't last week either. I know, but this week especially. It's the elephant in the room. It is an elephant in the room. I'm Dominic and I'm in Amsterdam and I'm speaking to... Who am I speaking to? It's me. It's Katie in Paris. How are you? Uh, Yeah, I'm good. Although it's kind of like snow sleet hailing. It is very cold, but it's warm in this podcast. So we're looking forward to giving you a happy, cosy half hour of fun old European chat where we don't talk about Brexit, but we do talk about lots of other things. This week, backed by popular demand, we're going to be talking to Anya and Warsaw, uh, about why they suddenly got a new prime minister. Then we'll be talking about the very sad death of Johnny Halliday, which has dominated the French news for the last week. And explaining who he is, because I feel like most people outside France don't actually know who he is. Including me. But that's okay. I'm here for you. And then Dominic is going to be talking to the host of the brilliant Dutch podcast, Dips House, which is a podcast for Dutch women of colour, about uh, apparently festive use of blackface in the Netherlands and all the problems around that. Yeah, it's a loaded topic, but I had a really interesting discussion with Anusha about Black Pete. So that's coming up, followed by my happy ending. Ah. No, don't do that. Why? No sighing when we talk about happy endings. Otherwise, people will get the wrong idea. That was a happy sigh. That was like, ah. No, then that sounds orgasmic. It's not okay. (laughs) It should sound orgasmic. That's the kind of pleasure that is brought by this podcast. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Hi. Hi, Anya. Anya. We're very glad to have you back because um, I don't know if I told you this, Dominic, but two people have said to me, who is that nice Polish girl? She's so great and positive. And one of them actually implied that she was more joyful and happy to listen to than us. Anya's never coming back. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sorry we forced you to come back on the podcast so soon, but there is so much going on in Poland. Yeah, what what is up with that? Because I literally just learned how to say the name of your last prime minister, Beata Szydło, and now I've got to do it all again. Like, how do I say the new guy's name? The new guy is Mateusz Morawiecki, and I was actually thinking about you, Katie, and about how you had just learned how to pronounce the earlier prime minister's name because the new prime minister's name is also hard for non-Polish speakers. And I was just thinking back to Donald Tusk the prime minister just a few years ago and how much easier his name was. Those four sweet letters. Although I've always pronounced it Tusk. Am I an idiot? Yeah. But Tusk oh. sounds cool. I mean, it, you know, you think of elephant. Exactly. Anyway, what's going on? There was, I feel like, so Beata Shidvo, the last prime minister, all of a sudden she's just gone. Why is she gone? What's going on? I think a good way to summarize this whole situation is Danny Kemp. So a fellow journalist reaction on Twitter where he basically just tweeted, what? Because Mm -hmm. that's basically the sentiment around here as well. I mean, it's not like this came out of the blue. There's been speculation for the last few weeks. Mateusz Morawiecki was one of the names thrown around, as was the possibility that the leader of the governing party, Jarosław Kaczynski, would take over as prime minister because he's the most powerful politician in the country and he's the one calling the shots on everything. Um, he's really the man with the power, even though there's, you know, a president and a prime minister. But it's an interesting question, and there's not really a good answer. I mean, today, Morawiecki spoke and said that he wants to focus on the economy. He's an ex-banker. He ran the Zahodny Bank 
who's its chairman for eight years. So he knows a lot about the economy. He was the finance minister in this government. And so he says he wants to focus on the economy. He wants to strengthen security. And he also wants to strengthen Poland's in a position abroad. And I think the key is in that last part, because Poland has been battling all sorts of controversies. It's been having trouble with the European Union recently mm-hmm. about a bunch of different issues. The controversy over the court reforms that Poland introduced that the EU is very concerned about. There has been the situation with the Białowieża forest. There's been logging in the forest, and the EU is concerned about that as well. Poland has been anti the migrant quota that the EU was pushing. So there's been a lot of reasons that Poland and the EU have not been getting along. And Morawiecki is someone who speaks multiple languages. He studied in Switzerland, Germany, U.S., and Poland. So he's Super European. Well, I don't know if I'd call him super European. I don't know if he'd be like a poster boy for this podcast, for example. I'm not sure. <laughs> but he did work for Donald Tusk. Oh, well done. You don't know how to say his name. Yeah, thank he's you. more European than Mata Shudwam. And he has some experience abroad. So there's some thought that maybe he will do a better job at dealing with Poland's colleagues abroad. But Beata Shudwam, she, she's still like, she's still going to be deputy prime minister, though, is it? She's not going away completely. Right. She's not going away completely, but... It is kind of a funny situation because she's been popular and um, and the economy's booming. So it's not like an, uh, one of those, you know, she's resigning in disgrace situations. For people who don't know much about Poland, there are members of the Law and Justice Party. Is that right? Or that's how we translate it. And they are a right wing kind of populist party who have had quite a lot of popular welfare reforms and economic reforms that have been quite good for the country, but they've got quite strong nationalistic, like anti-immigrant sentiment. Is that right? Right. They're they're definitely populist. Um, and they introduced this thing called Pinset Plus, so 500 plus. It's basically free money. Nice. Yeah, I know. Everyone loves that. And you, Katie, I know you love that. I'm moving to Poland. <laughs> the, there's one catch. You need to have kids to get this free money. Oh, man. We can pretend I'm your son, Katie. That's... Believable. You are kind of my son. But you need kids plural, so Dominic's not going to be enough. Can I adopt you as well? Sure. My philosophy when it comes to parents <laughs> is the more the merrier. <laughs> um, every month, people get 500 zloty for every kid after their first kid. That has been a very, very popular program. I've just done the conversion, so that's like 120 euros a month extra, which is not nothing. That's a nice chunk of money. Right, and especially in Poland, this 500 zloty goes a long way. Uh, Poland, compared to France or Germany, people earn much less. So 500 zloty is a huge amount of money extra per month. And is this new guy likely to continue with those kind of policies then? I think so. He's been the finance minister this past year, and then before that, he was the development guy. So he has been instrumental in these programs. Poland's economy is good, but the problem is that it um, needs to be more innovative, needs to have more investment. So he might be focusing on that. Not really clear what he's going to do. Well, we are super interested to see what happens next and whether much changes. Uh, So we're looking forward to having you back on the podcast every single week for the rest of all time. (laughs) I think you guys might have to make this like a daily podcast to keep up with Polish politics. And I think you might have to change the name of the podcast from the Europeans to the Poles. The Poles, our new hit sister podcast. It's been a quite sad week here in France. We've seen the death of a, well, the death of an icon, really, Johnny Hallyday. Were you a fan, Dominic? 
I, oh, it's such a mean thing to say when someone's just died, but I hadn't ever heard of him. Well, you're not alone. I think pretty much no one outside the French speaking world has heard of him. And that, to be honest, was what made it fascinating to be here because, well, we had some discussions in the office about who it was like dying. And uh, one French colleague said, oh, it's kind of like if Elton John died or it's a bit like when David Bowie died. It really is like this huge, huge star. The closest comparison we've come up with is Elvis Presley because he really did. He was like the French rock star just for decades as well. He started in the 1950s, again, a bit like Elvis. And he looked like Elvis, you know, he had a quiff and the sideburns and the leather trousers and everything. He sang a lot of American songs as well. Like he did French versions of American hits. Uh, he had a French version of House of the Rising Sun, for example, and his own, lots of his own. I mean, he had like hundreds and hundreds of songs. I hear that he's like almost getting a state funeral. Yes. Like they're going to be a big procession through Paris. So we're recording this on Friday night, but uh, yeah, Saturday morning is due to be this whole big shebang. His coffin is going to be driven down the Champs-Élysées, flanked by hundreds of motorbikers because he was a massive like Harley Davidson fan. He loved kind of going on these road trips around America. And uh, President Emmanuel Macron is going to speak. It's going to be like a huge affair. Biggest funeral for a musician since Edith Piaf died in the 60s. I hear that um, Emmanuel Macron got a call at 2am in the morning from Halliday's wife saying that he died. I mean, who else in popular culture that's not a politician would warrant a call to the president in the middle of the night? Um, Madonna? Would Trump get a call if Madonna died? No, maybe... Uh, Beyonce? If Beyonce had died while uh, the Obamas were in office because they were friends, they probably would have got a call in the middle of the night. And it would be a big deal. Yeah. Because she's young as well. Anyway, this is really dark. I don't want to think about Beyonce dying. I think I would cry then. Um, Maybe Bruce Springsteen dying. That's not worth waking the present up for, though, is it? I think that really shows the relationship with the country, you know? Like, he... Yeah. So many people have grown up with him because he's always been there. He's literally been a star since the 1950s. And he's kind of changed with the times. He's been through different phases, like a lot of rock stars. He had a kind of prog rock stage and uh, like a kind of hippie stage. And he had a lot of ups and downs as well. And there have been a lot of kind of French think pieces out this week talking about how his life has kind of mirrored ups and downs in the fortunes of France in general. So it really feels like the end of an era. It's quite sad. But So I was wondering to what extent Johnny Halliday is unknown to me as a stupid English person who doesn't experience anything outside of uh, English language culture and whether actually within the rest of Europe people did know about him because when I spoke to Thomas, my husband about it, who I mention every episode it's like I don't talk to anyone else Hi, Thomas. he was saying that his mother was obsessed with, with him in the 80s and 90s absolutely loved him i think it's partly british sort of cultural isolation but i don't think that's it i guess the main problem is that he sang in french right so that's but then so did edith pf and so did what's his name jacques perel serge gainsbourg and they all made it yeah i feel like maybe that is part of the problem he tried to do this whole american thing he loved america you know he was such a genuine enthusiast for all things american but that meant that he as an export as like a cultural export it didn't really work because it's just like well you're trying to do what america does but just kind of not as well whereas people like edith piaf who were like super super french everyone's like oh wow what a charmingly french artist 
you know? Yes, that's why it was uniquely appealing to French people because it was this kind of American appropriation. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that argument, Katie. It does make sense. It's been fascinating to learn about him and like kind of how he rose. He really, you know, he came up in the 1960s. It was a lot like Elvis, really. So France was just coming out of the war and the culture was like really, really conservative. This was uh, in the years of uh, General Charles de Gaulle. Yeah, he just came in with his tight leather trousers and his quiff and his, his whole American thing, which the kids all loved. And yeah, he just set France on fire. But anyway, all this discussion about how um, this conclusion that he's basically the closest thing that France has to Elvis got me thinking, Dominic. Yeah. So I've taken the liberty of calling a few friends around Europe and asking them who the closest thing they have to Elvis is, either in terms of like iconic status or in music. I've made a little Spotify playlist for you and for anyone who wants to listen, really, based on the results. That's so nice, Katie. Yeah, well, it's completely ruined my Spotify recommendations, which are now just like power ballads from around (laughs) Europe. Yeah, your Discover Weekly is going to be up the spout. But I've had the best time listening to it, and it's really good. I've got some great recommendations on there. There's a bit of Little Tony from Italy. Uh, Thank you, Sergio, for that suggestion. And, you know, Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Do, 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 do. Boom, boom. That one? Yeah. That's by a Dutch guy. Really? Little Green Bag, it's called. Oh, I know that song. I used to do a dance to that song at school. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could see that. We actually genuinely do have videos of it. Seriously? Yeah, you're not seeing them. Dig them out. Um, It was written by Jan Visser and George Baker, whose actual name is Hans Bowens. Anyway, it's a great playlist, and we will post a link on Twitter and Facebook. So uh, it's a festive time of year for you right now in the Netherlands, isn't it, Dominic? Well, it just has been, yeah. Um, it was uh, Sinterklaas on the 5th. That is a very Dutch and Belgian tradition um, where there's a kind of Santa Claus type figure who's a bit more religious um, with a big bishop's hat who turns up apparently from a ship from Spain with his little servants who are called Black Pete's and they have blacked up faces it's all really weird to non-dutch or belgian people and yeah it makes me quite uncomfortable whenever i see someone wearing blackface in the street and i always want to shout something at them there is another side to the story and god it's such a loaded topic i find it quite difficult to talk about but dutch people feel really nostalgic about it and they claim that it's not a racist thing and I can understand that it doesn't have a racist intention necessarily. The explanation that people have for it is that uh, the blackface is there because Pete comes down the chimney so gets soot on his face. But I don't really buy that argument because until recently um, it was not only blackface, it was blackface with big red lips and hoop earrings and it was, yeah, it clearly had racial undertones. What did you think of it, Katie, when you would see it in the Netherlands? So I never actually saw it in the flesh. I think my first memory of it was seeing a government minister, maybe it was a Belgian government minister, uh, wearing full blackface in the street and, you know, having his pictures taken and smiling. And I just remember thinking, what the hell is going on here? And uh, yeah, you know, like a lot of people, I do have a lot of problems with it. But anyway, it'll be interesting to hear what Anusha has to say about it. I had a really nice chat with one of the hosts of this very popular podcast in the Netherlands called Dipsaus, meaning dipping sauce. Anusha Nzume is an actor, a writer, activist, and now a successful podcaster. She has written a Dutch bestseller, which translates into English as Hello White People. And as you will hear, she speaks very eloquently about the Zwarte Piet debate. 
always knew instinctively when I realized years ago, you know, at a young age already, like, you know, this is so problematic. Everybody's so happy yeah. to walk around in blackface. And you still have people in dreadlocks or taking up African-American names. You have black beat boy bands who perform sold out in theaters for kids and parents. Yeah, yeah. And singing R&B classics, seriously. And of course, black beat songs. So I always knew that's something you just can't touch. You cannot touch this. Whereas Dutch people view themselves or their, you know, our, our culture, you know, I'm Dutch, is open-minded, reasonable, but do not touch Black Pete. I think it's a combination of not experiencing colonialism and slavery on their own country, on their own land. It was always away, which was, of mm -hmm. course, very smart. Dutch identity is not one of rulers or of uh, supremacy. That's yeah. not the identity. It's of small people, you know, small country fighting the elements, fighting the Spanish, fighting British, and be a fair, small country. So the idea of their favorite childhood tradition, which literally comes from the Middle Ages, being uh, associated with something so horrendous, people just cannot put those two together. So they just deny it. Complete and denial. I, I mean, people say, yeah, oh, it's got nothing to do with racism. It's just that he comes down the chimney, yes. um, so he's covered in soot. Yeah. And that clearly... Yeah, not uh, his mean, clothes. No. <laughs> but, yeah, his face. And he yeah. has like, lipstick and earrings and yeah, his hair's curly. That all happens when he comes out of the chimney yeah, too. Literally, yeah. Or they say, no, I mean, you have all excuses. People have literally called me or, or wrote to me like, he gave child slaves freedom. But because they were so, so, so thankful, they decided to stay with him and work for him. He was paying them. Like, literally, these kind of people, grown up people will tell you emotionally upset like don't take away my childhood let's not forget that black beat was introduced in 1850 1853 for a thousand years it was celebrated without that figure so that's what i'm always trying to tell people yeah we're not taking away sinterklaas we're taking away one tiny element i mean i was amazed when i moved here Knowing as a very young child that blackface was not an because acceptable thing. Because you had the gollywogs. Gollywogs, right? yeah. So did you grow up with it? No, no. you were too young. I knew as a child that my mother had had a gollywog when she was growing up in the 70s. Yeah. And it was something she was very embarrassed about. So this was many years ago. It's yeah. been unacceptable for decades now in the UK. So to come here, it was like stepping back in time. Yeah. I have friends who are like left-wing, socially liberal people who, who vote for the Green Party or the Animal Party, but still feel nostalgic about it. Yes. I find it so difficult. I think if I can't convince these people, then... But how was it, for instance, with your husband? He feels a lot of shame and embarrassment about the fact that he, at certain points as a child, he wore blackface and was black Pete, but he said he was doing it with... Indonesian friend, uh, friends of Indonesian yeah. descent as well. He yeah. didn't feel like it was something that only the white kids did. No, it's like, true. Um, I mean, you you know how it is, you know, in the Netherlands. It's literally for a month. You cannot escape it. Libraries, the banks, everywhere. Yeah. So you cannot escape it. It's so difficult finding the right medium in which to it's talk about it. It's very difficult because the perfect excuse is it's for children. So you hate children. Yeah, you're ruining a celebration for children. Exactly. Yeah. And I've had friends, the same friends for like 20 years, went to school together and they're also liberal in the arts, you know, uh, open-minded people. One is gay, one is, you know, Jewish. You know, yeah. we're all, you know, a very mixed, fun, uh, happy group. And we decided to have uh, a Sinterklaas together with our kids. 
uh, and nephews and nieces, you know, like our first uh, as friends with yeah. little children. Very grown up. Very grown up, <laughs> yeah. yes. And my friends are like, and we're like, so yeah, we'll hire Sinterklaas. We're like, okay, great, but not with the Black Pete. So, oh, yeah, really? Oh, oh, okay, yeah, but we've ordered already. Okay, let me call and see, you know, if it's possible without Black Pete. So they called the Sinterklaas and he was like, yeah, well, you hired me. I have that date set up and I'm not doing it without my Black Pete. They had already ordered, booked him. So they called me back and were like, yeah, what can we, you know? And I was like, okay, well, um, then have a lot of fun without me. I'm not upset, you know, yeah. do your thing. But of course that was really, really painful. You know, my uh. best friends. But the good thing was, there they were that evening, sitting there with their Sinterklaas, class, paid for, and the black beads without me. And they realized, what are we doing? You know, people literally say, yeah, I understand that you're against black beads, but you're going, you're demonstrating around children that's just nasty and I'm a mother so I also had to get over that and literally say no I think it's horrible for children that you submerge them in racism from you know an early age and say that it's fun I think that's damaging children so I'm gonna paint you a little picture Katie for this week's happy ending uh, meet Gemma Ramirez who a conservationist. I said Gemma Ramirez. Okay. Don't interrupt me. Sorry. She's a conservationist who works for an art restoration company in Madrid. Now, she and her colleagues mm -hmm. had noticed that a centuries-old statue of Jesus was starting to show a few cracks, and they thought it was time to do some repairs. So they took it down off the church wall, put it into their little restoration office. So as they lifted the statue onto the table to start examining it, they noticed something quite magical. Um, they noticed that there was a little crack in the bum. There's a crack in every bum. That's true. But, um, oh, by the way, can I use the word bum when I'm talking about a statue of Jesus or is bottom more respectful? <laughs> I can't answer that question for you. We'll see if we get banned from iTunes for saying it. I think bum's a nice word. Okay, well, inside the bum were two letters outlining what 18th century life in Spain was like. Um, they were signed by a priest from the cathedral Burga de Othma. That's amazing. They outline which crops have had a good harvest and which diseases are ravaging the community, who's famous, like loads of things just like wow. about what's happening there. So people really think it was the idea that he was hoping someone in the future would find it and it was essentially a time capsule. Isn't that so nice? What an amazing place to hide things, though. Because, I mean, what are the chances that somebody would find a, a note hidden in the bum of a Jesus statue? Yeah, well, you'd think eventually it'll break. It was made out of wood, so I think he probably thought it would rot at some point. Um, but my favourite thing about this story isn't the fact that they found a note in Jesus's bottom, or even that it may have been a message to the future from a philosophical priest. No. My favourite thing is that the restoration company decided to film a video recreating the moment that they discovered the letters in Jesus's bottom. Uh, so the two restorers who are featured in this film recreation, they're definitely not actors. <laughs> and it is so funny because they're really trying to do it as if they're doing it for the first time and they lift up this statue under the table and then one of them carves out the bottom and, <laughs> and as it's lifted up, the other one does this very subtle like little gasp it's been like it's so wonderful because you know that they're acting 
And it's just what, I mean, I think that's even more magical than the fact that the letter was found there originally. I do think this has been a particularly bad week for like staged videos designed to share on social media. Um, did you see this video of the Australian ambassador to France proposing to his boyfriend because they legalised gay marriage? I didn't actually watch it because I heard that it looked really staged and that made me sad. This is it. It was a really sweet concept. Like there's the Australian ambassador and he's like, okay, so I'm going to go and propose to my long-term boyfriend now. And then he goes in and both he and the long-term boyfriend, who met on tram in Amsterdam, by the way, which is very sweet. A little extra detail for you. Um, Yeah, so both him and the boyfriend look like they've got guns to their heads. It's just like the most horrendous, scary and slightly disturbing proposal I've ever seen. It's really like, hello, I love you. Would you like to marry me? Good week for fake videos and good week for Jesus Bottoms. That's it for this week. Let us know what you thought about the episode. You can find us on Twitter at EuropeansPod, Instagram at EuropeansPodcast, or drop us an email at europeanspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Jim Brown for our wonderful theme tune and the little stings. That's a technical term that I didn't know before I started doing the podcast, but apparently stings are a bit of music between segments. He's amazing. He's going to be as famous as Johnny Anidé. In France only, yeah. In France. No, he won't. Someone else will be famous in France trying to imitate what he's doing. He's the Elvis of jingles. And thank you for listening. We're really, really happy with how well this podcast is doing already. And it's thanks to you. So help us spread the word. Tell your friends. Uh, tell even people that you don't like about it we're not really fussy finally a shout out to any Dutch listeners out there give Dips House a listen if you haven't already it's an amazing amazing podcast okay ooh lightning what lightning lightning and sleet is that normal yeah shit maybe this is the apocalypse this is always how I imagine dying what lightning no like just recording a podcast with you oh I have another tongue for y'all. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And it basically means King Charles gave Queen Caroline a coral bead necklace. Oh, that's sweet. I like that. Did that actually happen? I don't know. No. I feel like, I feel like he'd give her like a diamond necklace, you know? It's all a royalist lie.